0: Hi, this is Steve Mears, voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you're listening to the Tomahawk Roundup.
1: All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Zorowski here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Steve Mears. Steve, how are you today?
0: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, really excited to have you on. So, starting out your career, you you took your first re, uh, professional job in the Central Hockey League with the uh, Bossier Shreveport Mug Bugs, which is now a North American junior team. I guess my question to you, starting off, is what was the dynamic like broadcasting hockey in Louisiana in such an atypical market?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people would be surprised that Shreveport, Louisiana, is actually a fantastic hockey town. And, and, yeah, not a traditional hockey region, but there are some incredibly passionate fans that are there that love the game, love the history of that team, and follow the NHL, whether it be the Dallas Stars, who are about three hours away, or the Nashville Predators, and they just love the games. It was wonderful. It was a great time that I was able to spend four years right out of college, and the people that I got to know there are still friends. They're lifelong friends whether it's the coach or the general manager or some of the players, and and they welcomed me with open arms from the moment I drove down there. After college, I went to Bowling Green and got this job. I packed up my car, drove all the way down there to Shreveport and didn't know what I was getting into. I had no clue, but it was the greatest four years of my life. I was so lucky to land in really a perfect situation where As I call it, I I got my master's in hockey. I I was able to learn every aspect of the business, not just broadcasting, which is only about 5% of the job, but I learned sales and team services and PR and game notes and press releases and, and what it takes to run one of these franchises in every aspect. And it's so much more than just broadcasting. And When you're in one of those roles at that level, you're wearing many hats so I got a crash course in every single aspect, and I learned so much, and I, I'm forever grateful and indebted to the Bossier Shreveport Mudbugs and, uh, yeah, as you said, what was a CHL team, now a North American Hockey League team, uh, but just the, the most wonderful people that I, I could have ever met and have been around at a young, formative age in my life, and it's because of that foundation that I'm where I am today.
1: And that's that's—I like the term getting your master's in hockey because— I know exactly what you're referring to you know going because uh, I had done my first intern uh, first hockey internship in Muskegon with the Lumberjacks and I was interested in broadcasting but you like you said there's so much more that goes into it there's the PR there's the okay the team logistics ticket sales so that's like you said it's only 5% of what you do.
0: Exactly. There were a lot of times when I w- it would be like 6.45 for a 7 o'clock game and I would look at the clock and be like, oh, i got to go broadcast now because <laughs> I had a million other things that I had to do, whether it was getting the post-game meal ready for the team or making sure the next city's hotel was booked or making sure the game notes were finished for that night or a school appearance in a few days in Shreveport. I mean, there there were so many things, but it was the perfect place just to really learn And that's what I tell students who I speak with in those formative years, whether you're in the minors or if you're in college or even high school, just learning to do everything because you never know where this path is going to take you. These jobs are few, these broadcasting jobs, and you have to be patient and you have to wait for breaks and and you have to show people who are doing the hiring that you're willing to do anything it takes. And and I was proud that I was able to do that, whether it was helping the equipment manager hang the gear in the middle of the night in Odessa, Texas, when it was freezing cold and we're at some rodeo barn and the players were able to go back to the hotel to sleep. And we went to the rink and in the cold, dark rink we're putting the sticks up and the equipment bags and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it, It was so rewarding to do all those things. And especially because you felt like you had a hand in the team's success when the team had success, which is actually unlike the NHL where you're, you are kind of more of a media member and there's a distinct separation between the broadcasters and the team. Back then, at that level, it was like I was part of the team. The guys, the players, welcomed me in, and uh, they had. I, I was like, on, might as well have been on the roster. They were. Uh, we were all a family. Whether it was the trainer, the equipment manager, the bus driver, the radio guy, like myself. So uh, to have that type of camaraderie, you really felt invested in the, the outcomes of the games and the outcomes of the seasons. So uh, I just think it was uh, it was what helped build those bonds, and that's the reason why I'm still friends with so many of those guys to this day, some of whom are still in hockey in some capacity, others are not, but they're lifelong friends, and I'm just so thankful that I got a chance to meet and work with them.
1: Yes, uh, pers- uh, going further in your career, Steve, you know, what was the transition like from the CHL now to the NHL? Because uh, 2006, you go over to the New York Islanders doing their radio play-by-play. Play. I mean, talk to us about that. You're going from more of, like, what you said, a family environment to a distinguished media member. Talk, uh, explain that transition for our listeners.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, uh, because that is pretty drastic, I mean, just culturally, to go from Shreveport, Louisiana, to Long Island, New York. And I had never even been to the New York area as a kid. I had never been to New York City. The first time I went to New York was the job interview for the Islanders radio gig, so uh, it was something totally different and a drastic change, and what I eventually learned is that I had a lot to learn, because uh, you, you're in Shreveport, and you're in that family atmosphere, and, and you're basically a big fish in a small pond, and you think you're kind of a big deal, and the reality is you have uh, so much to learn, and, and I still think that to this day. I still think I'm a baby when it comes to this this profession, and I've been in the league now for 16 years, but... That transition it took a lot of time and a lot of listening to some of the greats and being around some wonderful people while I was there. I was so fortunate. Howie Rose was doing TV. Billy Jaffe was doing TV Color. Chris King, my partner on the radio, was such a dear friend and and taught me so much and took me under his wing because he had experience in the league and in the job and everything. And then right across the Across town, across the river, you had Doc Emmerich doing the Devils TV. Across town in in Manhattan, you had Sam Rosen and Kenny Albert were doing the Rangers, so we played them a lot, and I got to pick their brains every time we had an Islander-Ranger game or an Islander-Devil game. So I was really lucky to be surrounded by all of those incredibly talented announcers and just to be a sponge around them. And then, unlike the job in Shreveport, I, I didn't have all these other ancillary things that I had to worry about. It was just broadcasting, and I needed to fine-tune that. And it turned out I had a lot to learn. Um, but eventually, I think I, I started to figure it out maybe a year or two in, thanks to listening to people like Howie Rose and, and other broadcasters in the New York area, not even hockey ones, but other sports, and just trying to take notes, mental notes, of all of the, the influences around me. And I think that kind of helped put together my style which is just a, an amalgamation of all, of all of these these different voices of my entire life whether it was Mike Lang or Doc Emmerich or Gary Thorne it's just a, a combination of all of those guys and uh, many of whom were teachers for me when I was just starting out with the Islanders
1: yeah and when you talk about that sponge effect I know I know exactly what you're referring to I, I know I've been there not so long ago but not not i'm not where you're at obviously but i know what you're talking about the sponge effect where it's like there's so much information out there you just want to just suck it all up and say i want to absorb this and take this and utilize it to be the best that i can and better everyone around me
0: right and that that we should all have that approach it doesn't matter about broadcasting or medicine or music or whatever it is you're you're working in I, I think we should all have that approach at all times and I, I alluded to that earlier this is my 16th season working in the NHL and various different roles and capacities and and I, I still think I've got so much to learn and still trying to get better and listening to the very best and the people that I look up to and uh, never slacking when it comes to my preparation that's another big thing when it comes to this job is, uh, is just making sure you're ready and you're, you're constantly absorbing as much detail and information as you can. And uh, I, I think we should all take that approach because we can all get better and, and we all want to be at our very best. So, uh, unfortunately, sometimes in, in whatever field, maybe somebody gets a little older, or comfortable, and, and I just think that's, that's the downfall. That's when you're on the downgrade. When you start to coast in life, you're on the downgrade, and that's uh, that's not a place where you want to be. I want to always be improving every day, every game, with each rep that you get, whether it's a game or uh, you know, who knows whatever other job it is that you're doing. I think just those reps and just constantly getting better and then also embracing the adversity, too. When like you have either a game that doesn't go so well or some type of setback, you lose your job, as I did with the Islanders. Uh, Taking that adversity and realizing that it's making you better. Uh, You're going to learn from it. You're going to emerge out the other side even better than you were before it. And you need that type of stressors. You need that in in life um, in any way. It, It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. So, uh, I just think it's it's all a part of that learning process and, and just the search. You like we have a, our coach here in Pittsburgh, Mike Sullivan. He says you never really truly arrive. There's no there's never this big moment where it's like oh this is this is the team at its best and uh, we we can coast from here. It's like no, there's always a desire to strive to get better and that that's the approach I know they take when it comes to on the ice performance and the coach himself. I try to take it with uh, the broadcasting world, and I I think it can apply to anybody, in any walk of life.
1: Yeah, it really can, you know, talking about that drive. You mentioned Pittsburgh a little bit, Steve. You know, it seemed like going to the Penguins has always been in the cart for you. Growing up in Murraysville, just a short little while outside of Pittsburgh. Can you take us through receiving the offer from Pittsburgh to go to your hometown team?
0: Well, it was certainly a dream. I mean, but it did require some consideration because I was I was loving my job in New York. I was uh, a host on NHL Network and MLB Network, and I loved it. Uh, wonderful place to work. All the resources you could ever want. Uh, they do phenomenal programming on both the hockey and the baseball side. And, and for a hockey fan like myself, I mean, I'm not just a Penguin fan. I'm a hockey fan, and that was the greatest seat you could ever ask for to be there and talking two hours every day about all the major storylines. And as a lead up to the games that would be played that night and who was getting traded, which coach was on the hot seat, uh, what the big game of the night was going to be. What was the big play from the previous night? What's the big event that's upcoming? And uh, most of the time I was able to attend, including the Stanley cup finals and all-star games and outdoor games. So at that, that, job was just a dream, and I was so lucky to have it, so it did require some consideration, but at the end of the day, I realized that I wanted to get back to my first love, which was play-by-play, and uh, my all-time favorite sports team since I was 10 years old was the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I'm just very fortunate that it all worked out this way. It could have been any team, and I would have been very happy with it. I mean, had I stayed with the Islanders and was still there to this day, I'd be very content But the Pittsburgh Penguins, I mean, that doesn't get much better than that. You know, in addition to the fact that they're a winning organization, they're a first-class, top-notch organization on the ice, off the ice. They do everything the right way. And it's also my hometown where I have family. And it's just such a terrific sports town in general. And I I know the area so well. And and it's just in my DNA. And I I don't apologize for it. I'm a a big Pittsburgh homer and very proud to be a a Penguins, Pirates, and Steelers fan. And it's just... uh, how I was raised, and I'm just very proud to be from this area. So it just all worked out really well, and uh, and it happened to be at the time where the Penguins just won back-to-back cups. So you put all those factors together, and it was just a dream come true.
1: Yeah, you talk about that. I think I'd use the word perfect storm to describe it. You know, you've got your family there. You've got all the teams you grew up loving, and now you're the voice for those next generation of Pittsburgh fans because, like, you mentioned Steve Lang, uh, Mr. Lang who brought, brought it in, you know, brought in, like, 40 years with the Penguins before semi-retiring recently. You know, he was probably your voice growing up, and now you're a Pittsburgh Penguins voice for other people growing up.
0: Right, well, Mike is my idol. He's my broadcasting idol. He's uh, the, the reason I got into this business. The only one, the confluence of events from back when I'm 10 years old of the team having not only the greatest player in Mario Lemieux, but a great team with multiple other Hall of Famers. And they won back-to-back Cups in 91 and 92. And I'm at that very impressionable young age. But at the same time, they had the best broadcaster. So I just thought he made it seem like the coolest job in the world. That he got in for free, and he got to bring these games to life and bring them to the audience at home, whether it was TV or radio. And I just thought it was the greatest job in the world. So I, I wanted to be like him, and that was the only reason I got into the business. It wasn't to be on Sports Center. It wasn't like I wanted to be a football announcer, ultimately. Uh, it wasn't uh, to just be around uh, the game of hockey, it was like, it was really because of Mike Lang and wanting to be like him. So uh, to be able to work with him when I was doing Penguins radio for a few years and uh, work closely with him and learn from him. And just the fact that even today, he's such a good friend that I can reach out to text at any time and just see how he's doing. If I ever have a question about something about broadcasting or uh, anything that might come up. I mean, there's another one of those influences. We talked about the guys in the New York area, but there's another one of those guys who's always been there for me and has always been helpful. And, and if you listen closely to my call or, uh, a lot of other people who grew up in this area, there's, there's a little bit of Mike Lang. You don't want to obviously imitate somebody, but there's a little bit of him in there. There's probably a lot of him in there because, uh, he, he was—he's the foundation. That's—that's uh, that's the reason why I got into this. And eventually, you develop your own style, and you pull from other sources and other announcers, and you, you develop your very own unique style. But there's still at that foundation, there's still a lot of Mike Lang, and uh, I just uh, am forever indebted to him for his friendship and guidance and just being a great mentor to him.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mike Lang, obviously one of the greatest broadcasters the league has ever seen. You're talking about somebody who revolutionized catchphrases, slap me silly Sydney," and so many other things. I was five years old, I remember watching those games and laughing my head off, laughing my head off because I was like, who is this guy? He makes it so much fun to be around.
0: Yeah, he did that, and that, that was always like kind of the icing on the cake for me. I, I really, when I look back and, and think of some of the great moments, it, it was more about him and his style and his cadence. Uh, and then the catchphrases were great, and, and that's a big part of his Hall of Fame career, but uh, so many other things with oh, him. Oh, yes, his, his distinct voice, which I've never heard anybody who sounds like his, him, just voice-wise, uh, and then just being there to enhance the great moments. He did what he always did. Uh, every time Mario scored a big goal or Jager scored a big goal, he enhanced a, a big moment. He made a great moment even better. And uh, I can think of those calls. You, I could listen to them like it's a favorite song. Like It might as well be in my music collection. Because yeah. Some of them are just It's just so perfectly done. And he just had such a sense and a feel of the game and knowing what was going to happen with uh, regard to a player who might be hot, you know, coming in with, uh, say, oh, Kevin Stevens had a big, a little extra hop on the warm-up. He could have a big night tonight. And, and sure enough, he'd have two goals and two assists if he be the first star. So uh, he just had that knack for knowing the game, even though he was someone who didn't grow up with the game. He was from California. and Sure. And uh, didn't grow up playing hockey at all. But he just had a knack and uh, just learned so much over the years and and uh, that sixth sense i think was always so impressive for me
1: yeah you talk about the penguins and their legacy a long living part of that legacy is their rivalry with the Washington Capitals. You know, we've talked with my mentor and dear friend Joe Beninati as one half of that voice of the rivalry, if you will. I wanna talk about the rivalry from your perspective, you know. We've discussed this at length. You know, can you describe the dynamic of that rivalry from a Pittsburgh perspective and share some of your favorite memories?
0: Sure, well, I mean, it's been pretty one-sided, and I'm sure Joe would acknowledge yes, that. Yeah. It's, uh, and then the Caps, too. They obviously got the most recent playoff win in 2018 on the way to their Stanley Cup championship, so they have that at least, but uh, it has been kind of the hammer and the nail, and I don't say that in a bragging way, it's just that's the reality. It's just that uh, even when I was younger, you had uh, one exception in 1994, but it was uh, it, with, without fail. If the Penguins were facing the Capitals, you knew they were going on to the second round or whatever round right. it was going to be. It was waiting because it was all Pittsburgh, with only a couple of exceptions. Now that goes both ways: the Islanders and the Penguins. The other way around, the Islanders own the Penguins when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, and it's just that's the way sports goes. You just historically, it's different teams, two different eras, but it just that's the way it goes sometimes. And, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, of very memorable games. Um, you think in 1992 and just coming back in a series down three, one winning game seven in DC as part of the, and the Caps were very good that year, but to win in a game seven and to have that as part of the path to back to back Stanley cup championships, um, one in particular was, uh, Patrick Hornquist scoring, I think it was one of the
1: 2016,
0: yep. uh, game I don't know what it was Chris Letang was suspended maybe it was game four or whatever and you just thought there was very little chance the Penguins had to win in that game and they win and they go up 3-1 in the series and you knew they had him again they had him again and they did the same in 2017 and Marc-Andre Fleury stole the show another game seven in Washington uh so there are so many great Penguin moments against the Washington Capitals and uh and like I said, it goes both ways. So uh, there are plenty of uh, plenty of other heartbreaking losses that the Penguins have had against other teams. But when it comes to the Capitals, the Pens have just had their number.
1: Yeah, I remember that 2016 goal. Um, I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. The image is plastered in my mind was in my basement with a couple buddies watching the game uh, right as I was starting my journey on broadcasting. So I remember that moment very distinctly. So Steve, before we head out today, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and beyond? I don't
0: think so. I mean, there's a lot going on right now with uh, uh, the current circumstances around the National Hockey League. And we obviously hope that we can resume the season after the holiday break, get back and and resume this season in general with the full 82 games which we haven't had in a few seasons so uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed with that in the meantime though I will throw out a plug for the world juniors for any hockey fans who are looking for live hockey content and the future stars of the game and I was really lucky that I got a chance to do five of them for NHL Network and two Team USA gold medal wins uh, it's the greatest hockey this time of year it's so exciting the momentum swings because they're young players and the fact that you're seeing the future of the game, the future NHL. This is the premier prestigious tournament that's happening right now in Edmonton, and Red Deer will begin officially the day after Christmas, and Team USA is the defending champs. They are now among the powerhouse nations when it comes to hockey, right up there with Canada and Sweden and Russia, and so forth. So, uh, I've I just I've been real lucky to be closely associated with that tournament and with Team USA and, and the NHL network coverage. So, I will be glued to my TV, especially here leading up uh, with the. NHL taking a few days off. I know the pre-tournament games are going on right now as we speak, but I, I just think it's a fantastic, fantastic hockey. And I'm so glad that it's now a big part of the hockey landscape. When I was younger, I barely knew what the World Juniors were. You know, Team USA wasn't a powerhouse. The games weren't televised. There wasn't an NHL network to watch the World Juniors. And now you have that. And you get to see these future stars and maybe your favorite team's number one draft choice or some other prospect who might play in the NHL, might be a household name someday. So uh, I'm just uh, a big fan of the World Juniors, and I'm, I'm glad that it's gotten to this level of prominence. So I would encourage any hockey fan to take a moment, check it out, and I think you'll really enjoy what you see.
1: Yeah, that's become a holiday tradition of mine, just running down the stairs on Boxing Day and just flipping on the TV and just sitting there and watching the, the great young stars of the game blossoming.
0: Yeah, exactly. I remember uh, the first one I did, and, I, and we had a lot of Pittsburgh natives on that team that won gold for uh, Team USA, but it was Johnny Goudreau and Seth Jones and Jacob Truba, and then the, the Pittsburgh kids were Vincent Trocheck and JT Miller and John Gibson and Riley Barber, and almost every guy on that team, graduated onto the NHL, and they played at least some amount of time in the NHL. Almost every player from that team has made at least a, a splash in the NHL, and in some cases, like a Seth Jones or a Johnny Gaudreau, they've had tremendous careers and are among the best in the game. So uh, you're seeing the future of hockey, and that's why I say you got to tune in, and, uh, and it's exhilarating hockey on top of that. It's always always really fun
1: fabulous hockey at the World Juniors, a great broadcaster, Steve Mears, the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Steve, thank you so much for the time.
0: It was great talking with you. Thanks for having me.